0: In God's grace and in God's calling and for sure in God's empowerment, I've been the pastor of a church for over 15 years now. During that time, I've studied God's word and I have studied people. I have watched people. In that process, I've come to a conclusion all these 15 years later. And that conclusion is this. For people professing faith in Jesus there is either church life or there is life lived through the church. And that's what I've found. And that's what my conclusion is. For people professing faith in Jesus, there is either church life or there is life lived through the church. Meaning, people either are participating in and enjoying the things of the church or they are living out their lives in the context of the church. Church life means we like the service and we try and come when we can. Church life means we enjoy the activities, the the socials, the special events, and we come when we are able. Church life means... We want to get married here. We want our kids to be baptized here. We want to celebrate the big holidays here. We for sure want our funerals here. And we love the support we have in the big events of our life through the church. That is church life. Living our lives through the context of the church means we are fed on the word of God. We are growing as disciples of Jesus Christ. And we want that and we seek that. Living our lives in the context of the church means I have found my spiritual gift and I burn to use it in the ministry of the church. Living our life in the context of the church means as I walk through the ups and the downs and the highs and the lows, the hardships and the celebrations of life, I do it with the people that love and serve Jesus and together we are better. And I've noticed there are these two camps those that are consuming the things of church life, and those that are actually living their life in and through the fellowship of the church. You know what the last three years have shown us? And I'm talking nationwide in our land. Uh, Everyone that I talk to that'll tell the truth, there's some that won't tell you the truth, but everyone that I talk to that'll tell the truth, you know what the last three years have shown us? They have shown us that for a good many people, the church is not necessary in their daily lives. And it has also shown us, but for some people, the church is an absolute necessity. It is vital to they're following Jesus Christ. And I think that's what we've seen play out these last three years. They need the church. They long for the fellowship of the church. They long for the word of God will be preached in the church. They long to use their, their gift, their ministry through the church. And they are living their lives in and through the context of the church. Today we're going to continue our study of the formation of the church, the the record of the, the formation of the church in the book of Acts. Today, our, our message is entitled, Church Life? Question mark. Church Life? Question mark. Today, our verses, we have a whole bunch of them, are found in Acts chapter 20. Today, verses 1 through 16. Church Life. Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 20, beginning in the first verse. After the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had exhorted them and taken his leave of them, he left to go to Macedonia. When he had gone through those districts and had given them much exhortation, he came to Greece. And there he spent three months. And when a plot was formed against him by the Jews... "'As he was about to set sail for Syria, "'he decided to return through Macedonia, "'and he was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, "'the son of Phyrus, "'and by Aristarchus and Secondus of the Thessalonians, "'and Gaius of Derby, "'and Timothy and Tychus and Trophimus of Asia. "'But these had gone on ahead of him "'and were waiting for us at Tros. "'We sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread,' and came to them at Trous within five days, and there we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day. And he prolonged his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they had gathered together. And there was a young man named Eutychus, sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. But Paul went down and fell upon him. And after embracing him, he said, do not be troubled for his life is in him. When he had gone back up and had broken the bread and eaten, he talked with them a long while until daybreak and then left. They took away the boy alive and were greatly comforted. But we, going ahead of the ship, set sail for Assos, intending from there to take Paul on board. For so he had arranged it, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on and came to Mytilene. Sailing from there, we arrived the following day opposite Caos, and the following day opposite Caos, and the next day we crossed over to Samos, and the next day following we came to Miletus. For Paul decided to sail past Ephesus so that we would not be, we would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem if possible on the day of Pentecost. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Dearly Father, we come today. We're thankful for you. And we praise you today. Lord, we know the, the hope of our world, the need of our world is the peace of Jesus. Lord, I'm thankful that as followers of Christ that we have that peace. I pray, Lord, as followers of Christ, that we would be agents, ambassadors of that peace. Lord, I pray as we, as we read today, as we study your word, that you would direct us, that you would instruct us. And I pray that each of us here, it wouldn't be some hour that we sat through, some event that we endured, but I pray, Lord, that you would bless and teach and empower and prepare us to stand, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray for some in this room, some listening in another way that do not know you. I pray in the hearing of good news of a risen Savior that today is the day of their salvation. Lord, we come and we just tell you we love you, we thank you, we praise you, we bless your name, we hold it up, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today we're going to look at a set of verses really with no instruction, really with no implicit call to action, and really with nothing for us to do. As we pass through those verses, maybe you noticed that. These verses are the moving along, the historical record of the account of Paul's third missionary journey. Now I want you to be sure today, that doesn't mean the verses are Unimportant. In fact, we're going to make three observations that are very important to us in the church today. Now, we're going to move through those verses, again, with no direct implication out of the verses, but we're going to pull our observations out after we move through the verses. Now, let me set the context for you. In the context, remember Paul has been preaching the good news of Christ, in Ephesus for about three years. That's what we've learned in the preceding verses. Remember, last week there is a great uprising. Really, it is a riot that starts by the sellers of the, the idol Artemis. Now, they made a, a statue of this, of this goddess, and they would sell that statue, this idol, and, and it was hurting their business. And so there's an uprising, a, a, really a riot started by the sellers of this idol. Well, Understand, because of Paul's preaching, the Bible says the entire area, the entire region is being changed. Well, the change that's being made is upsetting their trade. And so they stir up this large commotion. I want to tell you, my favorite part is seeing in those verses that the faithful preaching of the gospel changes the culture. Now, I want you to see that And I want us to be aware of that, and I want us to remember that from last week. The faithful preaching of the gospel changes the culture. Sometimes we look around at the world and say, well, we need a big shift. We need something to happen. Well, the faithful preaching of the gospel changes the culture. Let me tell you something. It is still the same today. I think we've lost confidence in that. It is still the same today. Today, with all the craziness that's going on, with all the trouble, with all the division, with all the commotion, with the lack of peace in the world today, what we need, listen to me, is the preaching of the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. You know what? We can't lose sight of that. We can't lose confidence in that. What the world needs today is the preaching of the Prince of Peace, Jesus our Savior. All right, let's look at our verses. I almost spun off into a different sermon right there. Let's look at our verses, starting in verse one. After the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had exhorted them and taken his leave of them, he left to go to Macedonia. It starts off and it says, after the uproar. Now, I want us to remember, it was that big of a deal. It wasn't some little thing, it was an uproar, it was a riot. After the uproar, Paul, the Bible says, sent for the disciples. He sent for the believers. Now, he told us, proceeding, that his plan was to go to Macedonia, and then after Macedonia, to go. Jerusalem. Well, we see here that he actually sets out on his plan. He's going to leave there. He's going to go through the region of Macedonia, and his goal is to make his way to Jerusalem. But the Bible says, before he does, he exhorted them. He exhorted him. Now, that's a big deal. Let me grab one more verse, verse 2. And when he had gone through those districts, and had given them much exhortation, he came to Greece. When he had gone through those districts and had given them much much exhortation, he came to Greece. He passes through the region of Macedonia. He goes to Greece, but we see here in the verse the same thing has happened here. It says, he has given them much exhortation. Now, notice that he exhorts the disciples before he leaves. He does much exhortation as he goes. Now, the question then is, what does that mean? What is it that he is doing? What does it say that he's doing here? And here's a big question. Why must he do this? Why is he found doing this? The Greek word for exhort, it has a, really kind of a complex meaning, a varied meaning. The Greek word for exhort means to call to, to implore or urge, to console or comfort, or to address. Really those four definitions, and really it's shades of all four of those things. To exhort is to call to, it is to implore or to urge, it is to console and to comfort, and it is to address. Now, we get another picture of the word when Paul writes a letter instructing Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. I'm going to read that verse. We're going to get a better picture of that word. 1 Timothy 4, 13. Paul says to Timothy, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, we are seeing here, what we see is that, is that Paul is talking about preaching. That's what it's talking about. Some other translations say that. It is talking about preaching here. And so we understand he is preaching the word of God. He is addressing, he is calling to, he is imploring, urging, and consoling using the word of God. Of God, see this: when Paul leaves, he preaches the word of God. When he passes through a region, he preaches the word of God. It is what he does. Now, back to the big question: Why does he do that? Why? why what is the need for him to do that? Now, I thought about this. He's been preaching. He's been teaching. He's been exhorting the churches. He's been leading the churches. Why must he do this? You ever think about this? Why did he just hang out with them? Why did he just come to town and say, hey, I'm back and I want to tell you hello and I've missed you. Why, why didn't he just say, have you got something to eat? Why doesn't he just hang out with them? Why does he exhort? Why does he preach the word of God? It is because of this. I want you to listen very carefully. The mission of the church is to proclaim the message of the church, and the message of the church is the word of God. Why does he do this? Why is he deliberate in doing this? Listen very carefully, we need to understand this today. The mission of the church is to proclaim the message of the church. And the message of the church is the word of God. And so the central thing of the church is the main thing that Paul does. And that is the preaching of the word of God. Verse three. And there he spent three months. And when a plot was formed against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. In, in verse 3, the Jews, once again, as they have always done, they hate the message. The message that Jesus, the Nazarene, is the Messiah, is the Christ. They hate the message, and so they set out to kill the messenger. Now, that's what they've always done to Paul. That's what they've done to many others. They can't stand the message, and so they set their sights on the messenger. I want you to notice this. This is the really the concluding part of his third missionary journey, I want you to notice this. Paul never gets a break from that hatred. He really never gets a break from that hatred. They don't say, well, we've seen your faithfulness. We've seen you here before. We've seen the change in our world. We'll give you a break. No, it's escalating. He never gets a break from the threat of violence. All right, verse four. <clears throat> and he was accompanied by a of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, and by Aristarchus, and Secondus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and Tychus, and Trophimus of Asia. Verse four basically says it's a lot of names. He has a traveling crew that travels with them. A lot easier to say that, verse five. And he was accompanied, that's verse four again, I don't want to do that. Verse five, but these had gone on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. Notice something in verse five. But these had gone on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. Now we need to understand here: this "us" is Luke, who is the author of the account, who is the author of the book of Acts. And so this "us" is Luke, and he's traveling with Paul. Verse six. We, again, it's, it's, it's Luke with them, we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came to them at Tros within five days. And there we stayed seven days. Now notice here they're covering a lot of ground. You may have noticed that. Now there are several reasons for that. There are several things that are coming out of that. But the main reason that they're covering so much ground, the main reason they're going to so many places is because Paul is going to Jerusalem. And for the saints, for the church in Jerusalem, he is taking up a collection for their benefit. So understand this, as he goes to all these places, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and for the believers in Jerusalem, he is taking up a collection. Now understand, I want you to see how serious this is. Because of great persecution, Because of the aggressive hatred that comes from the Jews, the believers that stayed in Jerusalem, now remember a whole bunch of them left, the believers who stayed in Jerusalem are very, very poor. Many of them have been cast out of society. You can't trade here. You can't do business here. You can't make a living here. Many of them have been disowned by their friends, by their family members. They've been robbed of the ability to do business. And so he is taking up money for them. Now, we read this here in Acts. We say, well, he's taking up an offering for the church in Jerusalem. How nice is that? Maybe it's a Lottie Moon offering. I want you to see it's more than that. You see, their ability to survive because of their faith and their proclamation of Jesus has been cut off. And so they're they're not in a tough situation They are in a dire situation. They are in a tough situation and Paul is taking up a collection of money for the survival of the saints in Jerusalem. That's a big deal. right? Here we have, and I'll just tell you, a strange account starting in verse seven. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day. And he prolonged his message until midnight. Now, here in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, really we have the first example of a meeting of the Christian church. Now, we have other pieces of it, but really here's the first explanation of the meeting of the early church. It says, on the first day of the week, that is Sunday. It is no longer the Sabbath day. On the first day of the week, it says, they gather. They draw together. They assemble. It says that they eat a fellowship meal. And then I want you to notice, what does Paul do? It says he speaks, notice at the tail end of that verse, the message. He speaks the message. Now, what that means is he preaches the word of God. Now, the Bible says he preaches until midnight. Now, we read that, and that sounds crazy. I want you to notice this. It says he's leaving the next day. He's leaving the next day. They're not sure. Most of them are sure he's not coming back. He's leaving the next day, and they want to hear the message that he has. They want to hear the word of God. He himself, he has a message to preach. And so he goes on and he preaches until midnight. Verse eight. <coughs> there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered together. Now, I don't know why verse eight's there. It tells us there were many lamps in the upper room. It's nighttime. It is dark. It is, it is approaching midnight. Maybe it's in there to tell you that the room is hot. There are many lamps. It's stuffy in the room. Maybe they're running out of oxygen in the room. There's many lamps that are lit. Verse nine. And there was a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. Eutychus is a young man, the Bible says. The the word in context means a person the age of seven to 17, and so he literally is a boy or a young man, and it says he found a place in the windowsill. It's there in this crowded upper room. There's many lamps that are lit, and he, he found a place there in the windowsill And it says around midnight, he sinks into a deep sleep. And then the Bible says the weirdest thing, he falls out of the window. I'm going to go ahead and say this. A couple of folks in here ought not sit close to a window. (laughs) You know who you are. (laughs) I'm going to shut down before midnight, but don't, don't sit next to a window. It says he died from the fall. He died from the fall. Third story, he falls backwards out of the window. They go outside. It says and they picked him up and he is dead. They picked him up dead, verse 10. But Paul went down and fell upon him. And after embracing him, he said, do not be troubled for his life is in him Now, I want you to understand, he was dead, and Paul brings him back to life. In the power of God, Paul brings him back to life. Some say, well, he wasn't actually dead, and that's what Paul's saying. Well, I want you to remember this. Who is writing this? Luke the doctor. And Luke said he fell out the window, and they picked him up dead. And so when Luke the doctor says he was dead, he was dead, and Paul raises him back to life in the power of God. Now, I'm kind of weird, but I was thinking about this. I I bet none of y'all do, but I I thought about this. I wonder about Eutychus in heaven. You ever wonder when he walks around heaven, people, I know, I know. I'm the guy I fell out of the window. (laughs) I know. I wonder if Paul goes, there's that kid. I remember him. Verse 11. When he had gone back up and had broken the bread and eaten, he talked with them a long time until daybreak and then left. Verse 12, they took away the boy alive and were greatly comforted by both of those events, I'm sure. I want you to see this. He, he keeps preaching, he keeps teaching, he keeps talking until the sun comes up. Now I want you to put that together. That means for most of the day and for all of the night, he has been preaching and teaching the word of God. Did you understand that? for most of the day and for all of the night the sun has come up and they are hanging on his preaching of the word of God. Verse 13. But we were going ahead to the ship, but we going ahead to the ship set sail for Assos, intending from there to take Paul aboard. For so he had arranged it, intending himself to go by land Luke tells us here they split up. The the crew of followers, they get on a ship, but Paul sets out to walk. And maybe he had somebody to go see. Maybe he was gonna collect some more money on the way, but for whatever reason, they're gonna make the short trip on a ship and he is going to walk. (coughs) Verse 14. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Mitylene Verse 15. Sailing from there, we arrived the following day opposite Caius, and the next day we crossed over to Samos, and the next day we came to Maltus, verse 16, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now with that today, we're gonna take pause here in the account of Paul's third missionary journey. As the the journey is winding up, we're gonna take a pause right there. We're gonna stop right there today. Again, it is the historical record. It is the set of facts of what has happened. This has happened, and this has happened, and this has happened. Well, again, as I told you, as we pause here, I'm gonna highlight three things that we should take note of in the church today. Again, there's no implicit call for us In the verses, it doesn't say be sure and do this, but as we survey the church, as we survey the movement of the church, we're going to highlight three things that we should take note of today. Three things that we should remember today. Here's the question Are we living church life or are we living life through the church? That's the question. All right. The first thing we see here in this account, the first thing we see in the church is there was an urgency in the church. There was an urgency in the church. Now, as we read across just these set of verses, but if you back up and add those verses as well, we find this rapid movement taking place across the book of Acts. As we read our verses today, there is a rapid movement taking place. It says they go here and they go here and they stay five days and they stay seven days and they stay three months. The church is taking up a collection. Paul is preaching the word of God. The culture is being impacted. Some are going on ahead. Some are staying behind. Some are taking a ship. Some are walking the way. The gospel is going out. And as you read these accounts, there is an urgency in the church. Friends, I don't know how to say this any more clearly, but listen to me today. Today, in 2022, in the church of Jesus Christ, in the same church, time is growing perilously short. Do you understand that? Time is growing short. We have a mission to carry out. And I want to tell you today, if your goal is to enjoy the church, if your goal is to check the church off of a list of things to do for the week, you're missing the mission of the church. Let me tell you something. One of Satan's great victories is an apathetic, comfortable Lethargic church. Do you know that in this day, one of the great victories of Satan is that the church is comfortable, and the church is lazy, and the church is apathetic, and the church is no longer urgent. I want to. I want to tell you what. What would it take for the church to get urgent? I, I, I can't. I think about this. I can't imagine what would it take for the church to actually put it into gear. Would it take a pandemic? Would that do it? Would it take political unrest? Would that do it? Would it take economic trouble? Would it take empty shelves? Would it take a war in Europe that, that's looming? Would it take people lost and dying outside of Christ every single day? Would it take our kids being sucked in to the garbage of this world? We need more, do we need more homes to be wrecked? What would it take for the church to be urgent today? Listen. It is time, Church of Jesus Christ, to get urgent. Second thing we see, they were committed to the cause. They were committed to the cause. Mostly poor people are sacrificially taking up a collection for others, they're committed. There's a group traveling around preaching the gospel, and when they do, they always draw trouble and persecution. They're committed. There's a people, and they met for 20 hours, excited about the fellowship and the word of God. They were committed. They were committed. Here's what I believe. I believe the lack of commitment in the church today has been revealed. And we can say, well, this and well, that. Man, there's so many excuses. There's whole, there's whole list of excuses. Well, people have this and people have that and people are busy and it's a day of rest and blah, 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 and they're scared of this and they're worried about that. I believe the lack of commitment to church today is being revealed. But I want to tell you the good news is this. Our total commitment to the church is needed now, is necessary now. You see, that's a good thing. Whatever the past is, let it be the past. Our commitment to the church and the mission of the church is needed now. I watched this week, and I didn't know this, and I'm I'm really astonished. There is a Baptist pastor. There's a bunch of them. There's a seminary there, a Southern Baptist seminary in the Ukraine, 2,000 students there in the seminary. But there is a Baptist pastor, and he was trained in America. Now he's a pastor there in in the Ukraine. And and I was reading an article he wrote, I guess, a day or two ago. And in his church, they are preparing to be persecuted. Preparing to meet in ice. Preparing to eat when the music's not what we want. No, they're preparing to meet in persecution more than they are. The guy writes that the Russians will actually target them. When asked this week if they are making plans to leave to safety, he has a wife and they have small kids. He could leave. He's got ties to America. He could go to Poland. He could go to other neighboring countries. He could ask for asylum. He could go on his old old strings and he could come to the United States. Here's what this pastor said in the Ukraine. We'll not go anywhere. If we won't stand in wartime, we have no claim in peacetime. Don't you know Paul would smile if he could hear that? Don't you know Paul would say, That's what we were doing? Don't you know Paul would smile? Let me tell you something. I believe Jesus did smile when he heard that. Listen to me, we have to be committed. Well, that's not what it looks like. Well, not for us, it doesn't, but it might soon. Nonetheless, we have to be committed. The third thing is this, we have to be urgent. Second thing, we have to be committed. Third thing is this, as we read the account, I want you to notice this, and it's every single week. They were centered on the word of God. They were centered on the word of God. I want you to see this this morning. It was the word of God preached that started all these churches. And you go back and you read the account of Acts, they didn't go and do this and do that and do this. They didn't go and steal folks out of other church. They preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when folks got saved, they were the church. It was the word preached that started all these churches. It was the word preached that strengthened all these churches. Read the account. He goes back and he preaches the word of God to encourage them, to strengthen them, to, to put them on solid ground as they proclaim the word of God. It was the word of God preached that is at the center of all of these Friends, I want you to understand this morning, our purpose is not to do anything but to uphold Christ, to make him known, to bring great glory to his name, to push into the darkness of a lost and dying world. And I want you to understand how we do that is in the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. we must be centered on the Word of God. Our focus must be centered on the Word of God. Our motivation must be grounded in the Word of God. And I want you to understand, not just collectively, yes, collectively, but not just collectively, in our homes we must be centered on the Word of God. In our marriages we must be centered on the Word of God. In our businesses, in our lives, we must be centered on the Word of God. I'm going to end like this. Friends, church, do not miss it. Our time is now. Doesn't that sound like crazy talk from a crazy preacher? Listen to me. Our time is now. I want, to, I want to blow the trumpet. I want to put out the warning signal. Our time as the church of Jesus Christ is now. We're not waiting on something else. Our time is now. And as the world spins into chaos, do you look around? Our time is now. And as darkness looms everywhere we turn and as fear takes hold, our time is now. We have a risen Savior. We have hope that stands today. Our anchor is not moved. Jesus is his name. Our time in the church is now. May we be faithful. May we be faithful. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come. And I'm thankful for Paul. I'm thankful for his doggedness. I'm thankful for those that traveled with him. I'm thankful for a church that was urgent, committed, didn't let go of the plow. Thankful that we have the word of God today because of their faithfulness. Thankful that we stand on their shoulders upon their foundation, laid upon the prophets, the apostles, and finally in Christ, the word of God. Lord, I pray right now for those that are in some other place in Ukraine and other places just as terrible. I pray for your provision. I pray for your strength. I pray for your encouragement. And I pray, Lord, that the fruit of this will be many folks would find Jesus, would find hope and peace in Jesus. Lord, enable those folks, empower them. I know that you will. And then, Lord, I pray as we sit in this church, as we hear today and maybe some other way, I pray, Lord, that we're encouraged, that we're gonna be committed, that we're gonna be urgent, that we're gonna stand upon and proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then, Lord, I pray if there's one that's here, one that's listening, that if they don't know you, I pray that today is the day of their salvation. Lord Jesus, come what may, we have good news in you. I pray that today they would receive that good news. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you, we thank you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna close our service with a time of response, a time of invitation. And you may may sit there and say, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Why are we so urgent? Why are we so keyed up? I wanna tell you, it's because of this. We have good news today. And Satan doesn't want the world to know that. Satan wants to rob that away, but the the reason we're so urgent is because we have good news in Jesus Christ today. I wanna tell you, he loves you today. He knows and sees you today. If you'll call upon him today, he'll forgive you of your sin today. If you'll trust him as Savior, you'll have eternal life and it'll be finished and settled today. He'll give you peace today, not as the world gives, but his peace. You can have it today in Jesus. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to tell you, time is growing short. Trust him today. Do not walk out of this hour and not have settled it today. If you need more information, you find me, you find somebody else If you're here and you're ready to settle that today, in just a moment, we're gonna sing a hymn of invitation. You come and you tell the church your decision. If you need more information, you come. Let's settle that right now. If you're here and you've trusted Christ, but you never fought a believer's baptism, I wanna give you an opportunity. What a great day to come and say, I want want that banner to wave in my life. Bible says we're baptized after we're saved. By immersion, that's the New Testament model. In obedience to Christ, Testifying to the good news of Jesus. Maybe you're here and you've trusted Christ. Maybe it was further back. Maybe it's a recent event, but you've never fallen in believers' baptism. You come as well. We'll set a date and it'll be a great day of celebration, testifying to Jesus. Maybe you're looking for a church home. You've prayed about it and you believe God has led you here. You come as well. And together we'll serve His cause for His glory. Maybe you're here and you're hearing this and you say, you know what, it's time to recommit. It's time to draw a line of the sand. What's behind it's fine, it's gone. God will forgive us. But well, we're gonna turn and we're gonna march with him. We're gonna walk with him for his name's sake, for his glory. Maybe you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. I'm gonna ask that no one would stir about, no one would head for an exit. You pray for those that are making decisions. As we stand to sing, if you have a decision to make, you step out, you come on, I'll meet you here.